So when you said Adele was a witch, I was like, oh shit, she must be a witch. Because how else would people be so fucking mesmerized by her fucking singing? I mean, come on. Witchery. Yeah, she's a fucking witch, dude. Mm hmm. She's like, come, little children. <laughs> this is Otherworldly Divergence, where we come to you from across the veil with your hosts. Adam and Tyler. Hello, and thank you for coming in and listening to us here at Otherworldly Divergence. My name is Adam. I'm Tyler. And we are your hosts. Exactly. So today we're talking about, uh, okay, this episode needs a disclaimer because we are, we're discussing, we're, we're discussing the religion aspect of war and uh, persecution. Religious topics will come up. We are and going we to- we will draw, be butchering. Well, the pronunciations, but we will be discussing our opinion, probably guaranteed at some point that our opinions are going to come up and we're going to make comments about what we think about certain events and um i'm pretty much prepared to piss people off so dun, dun, dun. yeah if you are sensitive about religious topics especially Skip when this it comes episode. to catholicism and christianity and stuff like that if you get angry about people's opinions regarding it then don't listen to this one Exactly. Skip this episode and yep. join us for the next one. Yeah, because that one has nothing to do with religion. So this one, though, is all about religion. Kyle actually did a lot of research for me in this one. And okay. he is not here because he is very biased about it. So like a lot of the things we're going to talk about today actually um, affect him and the way he's living life right now in Scotland. So, you know, because he's, he's living the result of all of this stuff. So a lot of it makes him angry, and he has a lot of very strong opinions about it, and this can't be talked about with a very with a super biased point of view. So he's not here today. All right, so. Let's get into it, I guess. Doom, doom. Doom, 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 doom. So. Out of the, the, who wants to be a millionaire soon? <laughs> See, all I hear is dum, 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 dum. <laughs> Of course. Of fucking course. Of fucking course. Um, Okay. Yeah. Great. Now, that's, oh god, all this stuff's gonna be in my head. Now, now I can play. I can play the air sax to that song all day long. <laughs> so this entire episode was actually supposed to be about Saint Patrick and how he drove the snakes out of Ireland. I always say Scotland. Um, Literal snakes. So he was. <laughs> he was supposed to drive the snakes out of Ireland. So um, we. I had originally started creating this entire episode about Saint Patrick. And in doing so, like hours of research, I realized that it's really, really, really hard to do an episode about him and the snakes, quote unquote, 
Um, nice. From a paranormal or supernatural point of view, we could have talked about the angle from the god that he supposedly slayed was named Krom Kruach. Okay, so that's how you pronounce it. Krom Kruach, yeah. Okay, because I was like, in my mind, when I read it, I was like, Krom Kruich? Krom Kruich? No, Krom Kruach. Like we said, there's going to be butchering of the, of the language, and I do apologize. <laughs> I spent a lot of time, and I'm really proud of myself, and I'm, I, the, the only reason why we're still staying on religion is because I spent so much time practicing the pronunciation of all these Irish words. And I was like, I'm not putting all that time to waste. We're saying those words on the podcast this week. That's it. <laughs> so we're so gonna... I'm just the asshole American who's just like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> Crom crotch. <laughs> Crom crotch. No. Uh, Crom crotch. Don't kill us, people. Uh, Crom crotch is like an ancient old like a pagan god and it's said that saint patrick believed that he was the god of death um i'm kind of going forward in this a little bit but yeah crom is like an ancient irish god of supposed death but he was actually he might have been the god of like harvest or the sun or something like that but it's said that he the only reason why people believe that he was the god of death is because the people the pagans were sacrificing their firstborn children to him in return for a good, bountiful har- harvest. Well, when it comes to the uh, Krom, sorry, Krom Kruach. Okay, yeah, Krom. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now. I've been doing tongue twisters with my mom, and she's been making fun of me because I can't do it for shit. <laughs> okay, like she had me uh, try to do the the Peter Piper one. Okay, yeah. so here I am. I'm trying like. I probably did try, try to like attempted it like a hundred different times, and I the only thing I can do is Peter, Peter fuck I can't do it. <laughs> Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. Peter Peter, Peter uh, fuck peanut butter. Peter 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 fuck my brain won't literally won't do it. So that's why I'm like butchering this language. But uh, when it comes to uh, the crom crom crock crom crock. Krom Kruach. Krom If you can't do the Kruach. Yeah. And the only reason why I can do that is because Dutch. Yeah. I know. And for me, I roll my R's because, you know, Mexican. Yeah. And I, like, a lot of uh, this, there's a lot of these that I will pronounce with a slight Dutch Dutch accent accent because I can't help it. (laughs) Yes. But anyway, Krom Kruach. Krom Yeah. Just, we get Krom (laughs) Kruach. Kumquat. It like literally ch- translates to uh, bloody crescent. Yes. So, what I'm assuming is that it has to do with the fucking moon, because you know crescent moon. Hey, hey. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. There's not a whole lot about him. There's not <laughs> like okay before the Romans came in to England and all that, and you know doing their thing with fucking pillaging and shit. Yeah. Before they did that, there wasn't a whole lot documented. They didn't, you know, the, the early, especially pre-Christianity, nothing was really documented. It was all stories, like verbal stories, and they didn't really write stuff down. So there's so much hearsay about what happened and who St. Patrick is. Like, there's documentation about who he is, but we don't know how much of it is true because a lot of it was written by him. Mm. And 
some of the shit he wrote down just was kind of impossible to have happened. So we don't know. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's some fact, and then there's some things that are like, okay, really, dude, you know. That's <laughs> so we're focusing this episode on the religious persecutions in Ireland and the UK. So I don't know if we mentioned that before. So we're going to start as early back as St. Patrick. So St. Patrick was a dude. <laughs> he was not actually, he did not originate in Ireland. He was kidnapped by Irish pirates. And it's believed that he was kidnapped off of the coast of Wales. I saw one that uh, said uh, Scotland. Genetically, he is from Scotland, apparently. So from How the his... hell would we know if genetically he's from Scotland? I'm assuming that he was buried somewhere and they were able to, like, get DNA. So, I don't know. I mean, I have to look more into that. It's so hard to know for sure, but I have recently saw something, too, that said that he, not originated, but he had had blood from Scotland. So, it's, he's Scottish, but, like, so am I. So, (laughs) from what I read, one story I read was that he had this huge bitterness in his mouth for pagans because... Apparently, the ship's captain, the pirate captain, was a pagan. And (laughs) I had to laugh when I heard this story. So uh, apparently, he had asked Patrick to to submit to him and suck his nipple. And yeah, and Patrick was like, no, no, I don't do that. And this pirate pagan guy was like, no, you have to do it. And he was like, no, no, no. And ever since then, he had, like, this really bitter taste in his mouth for pagans, apparently, is what I read. So that's a possibility of where his hatred for pagans came. It was during this time, it's believed that while he was kidnapped and on this pirate ship, that he found his belief in Christianity. And before then, he completely rejected the church, for the most part. He had no really care or concern. So maybe it was his hatred for the pagan you know the pagans and stuff because at this point although christianity was a thing in ireland the paganism was yeah the druids was like and, the yeah, main they, one they were more celts so it's it's so hard to find information about them too because they didn't document anything or um, they did and then well the, and the, then uh, it was burned or destroyed yeah exactly so it's so hard to find any information about what the fuck happened to the celts because i searched high and low for hours to find any information about what might have happened to the Celts. And it's really, really hard to know for sure. So then I was like, okay, if we're going to do an episode about St. Patrick, instead of talking about him, because everybody knows what he's known for, for the most part, but let's kind of do an angle about who he persecuted, supposedly, right? Well, the pagans or the Celts or the Druids or whatever the hell they were. We don't know. It's so hard to find out information about anything about this stuff. It's all hearsay. Maybe it was on, while he was on the ship, he embraced the church more so because he was surrounded by these heathens, these weird Celtic weirdos that he was like, oh, I don't like this. Maybe the church is better. Maybe they won't make me suck their nipple. Yeah, maybe so. There's not a whole lot. There's like a lot of conflicting stories about what he actually did while he was in Ireland, but most accounts will talk about how he's the main bringer of Christianity to Ireland. He gathered all of this wisdom on the ship and then he brought it to Ireland and he like saved the Irish people from the Celts and he, you know, that's just what everyone believes. That's like the main, that's like what he's known for, basically. Yeah. And he's also known as the killer of the religion that worshipped Karam Kruach. 
because there was like a whole clan of people that worshipped this god in Ireland. And the area where they were, like this, the site of that was this place called Moslecht. Pre-Christians called the era Fossaslecht or Rothslecht. They were kind of, they resided around this spot and this clan of people worshipped at a stone called the Killycluggan Stone. And the Killycluggan Stone, they had put carvings in it to kind of depict Krom Kruach and they like worshipped the stone in hopes of getting a good harvest back. And it was surrounded by what they believe was 12 other standing stones. So it was like this dome-like stone with carvings on it. There's tons of standing stones all over. Yeah, it kind of looked like a little mini Stonehenge kind of deal. Kind of. Yeah, you know, like in, in Outlander, where like she goes back through time in the stone and she's like, there's like a circle, a stone circle. It's yeah. like that with the standing stones. Not necessarily the piled stones like Stonehenge, but like standing stones. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like that. The Killycluggan stone was in the middle and the standing stones were all around it. So probably about 12 or 13 of them or something like that. And they worshipped Kram Kruach at this stone. And the reason why they say that he drove the snakes out of Ireland is because the god Kram Kruach was often depicted as a snake. So it's believed that the people that worship Kram Kruach in Patrick's eyes were snakes. So when he wrote about how he drove the snakes out, people literally take it like, I've, there's so much information you cannot believe so much information on the internet that's like there are actually no snakes in Ireland and then there's responses to those like people comment and be like because St. Patrick drove them all away mm-hmm. they literally think <clears throat> that it's like snakes no Ireland has no snakes like that's not a snake zone snakes are not indigenous to Ireland they have at all. lizards they do they no have snakes. different types of lizards and stuff but there are no indigenous snakes in Ireland so yeah there, he's not talking about, when he writes about snakes, he's not talking about literal snakes. He's talking about symbolic. the peop- the symbolic, yeah. So the, the symbol of Krom Kruach as a snake and the people that worshipped him. Yeah. With, in his eyes, might have been all pagans. He was very, he had a, he apparently held a lot of disdain towards the pagans. So in his eyes, they might have all been, or all been well, snakes. Well, apparently when it comes to Krom Kruach. Yeah. Um, Good one. Apparently the followers, they themselves were actually seen as very violent and bloodthirsty. Like, they would actually, like, sacrifice their firstborn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like, dude, what the fuck? You know, uh, they would sacrifice them on uh, Samhain. Yes. So it's like, damn, bro. <laughs> the firstborn of every generation was sacrificed to Krom Kulak at the Killycluggan Stone. And it said that they, and this is going to get graphic, I apologize. So take a second. If talking about kids and violence bothers you, just uh, skip forward maybe a minute. Give you a second to do that. Okay, if you're still here, this is what happened. It's said that they sacrificed their firstborn child by bashing their head against the stone so the, their blood would get on the stone. And then they would decapitate the child and, like, sprinkle the blood around the base of the stone. Fucking hell. Yeah. It's, it, was, it was really hard to read. And talking about it makes my skin crawl. But Dude, 
people were like, no, oh, I was going to say crazy back then, but I'm like, hold on. They're still crazy now. Never mind. They are. But here's another thing. So the, the Celts believed that the seat of the soul was in your head. Yeah. Like, rather than in your heart. The seat of your soul was in your head. So when they killed people, they would decapitate them and take the heads with them. And I'm assuming it's because they didn't want the soul to rest easily. It was like their way of their way of being like, haha, bitches. They would like take the soul away and the body would never rest peacefully because it wasn't attached to its soul anymore. That's my belief. That's the only thing I can think of as to why they would decapitate the body and walk away with the head. They would like bag the heads and take all the heads home with them when they Dude, would. That's yeah. Fucking crazy. Yeah. It makes sense in that regard that they would use the blood in the head to bless the stone because they believed that the child's soul was in their head. Yeah. So it makes sense. Brutal. It's disgusting and brutal. And and I can understand if this is true, I can understand why other people, outsiders, would look at it and be like, oh, my fucking God, what well, are you doing? Just think, if you were, like, the firstborn, because, like, for me, technically, I'm the firstborn of my generation. Yeah, same. So I'd be like, oh, fuck i'd be fucked if it, it depends on how the, they depicted the first generation because on my biological father's side i'm not the first generation sorry james <laughs> but i think I'm, it's probably i think it's probably like from the mother i would think then i am the first generation if it was from the I mother know, i'm the first fucked, generation. Dude. yeah we'd be so fucked we would be so and and to think about that it's like well that kind of sucks but it it's interesting how it evolved too because later on in history the firstborn child was the most important one. All the other ones could go fuck themselves for all they can. Yeah, what is with the firstborn? What the hell? I don't know. They're either worth... I mean, they're worth a lot. If, I mean, if they're willing to sacrifice their firstborn, they're they're giving a lot away. Yeah. But then later on, firstborns <clears throat> are literally crowned as king and queen. They're valuable. The firstborns are the most heavily protected children later now on my, in history. Now, my question is, how old would they be when they were sacrificed? Were they just babies, or were they actual like kids, teenagers kind of deal? I'm not sure. There's no, I don't know. I'm assuming yeah. it. Did, I'm assuming it doesn't matter. I'm assuming it's just whenever they did a sacrifice, the uh, you know the firstborn child of every generation, or I don't know if it was every child in every generation, or if they just like randomly chose a kid's name out of a hat or something. I don't know. There's no documentation about how sacrifices went down. It's not like, you know... I would love to know, but I'm also, like, too afraid to know. I know. It's not like the elder sat down and was like, we sacrificed Billy today instead and of then, Bobby because... Because no Billy wanted, was a bitch. <laughs> no one no one to pay. Like, they didn't talk about it. There's no... They just... Whether it happened or not, we don't exactly know. This is all... So history is written by the winners and in this situation it was the christians they the christians won oh, so yeah because they fucking killed off the pagans and shit well that's and that's what i believed as well and now i'm not so sure that that's exactly what happened because mm. there's so many conflicting stories they believe that it's believed right now a lot of pagans don't believe in they don't celebrate saint patrick's day because it's like we we're not going to celebrate the guy that persecuted slaughtered, yeah, persecuted and slaughtered pagans. Now, I tried so hard to find actual damning from a good source. I tried so hard to find information about that actually being true, and I couldn't find a thing. So I don't know. There's no way to know if it's true. And if someone out there could find something that like backs Jeez. that, please send it to me because I'm genuinely interested. 
Because, um, I mean, like, what I'm thinking is that it probably did, but it was all, like, kind of off the record. Yeah, I don't you know? think, like, I don't think well, that he, what's believed is that he went around and he preached. He preached and he preached and he preached and he preached. And it's also said that he paid off clan leaders, mm-hmm. that he, like, kind of persuaded them to turn their clans Christian in exchange for, like, food and money and gold. And so I mean, that would do leaders, it, if, especially if they're desperate enough. Exactly. So why would you turn that away? If, if you were hungry and, you know, like, why would you turn that away? So there's so many different things. And, like, driving the snakes out of Ireland could just be, instead of slaughtering, it could just be, like, hey, our religion's kind of cool. Out. Let me pay you a lot of money to turn your clan this way and we'll leave you alone. Or we'll kill you. We don't know. There's no way to know exactly what happened. But somehow, some way, there was... A movement to take all the pagans and turn them into Christians because it's not like he just killed off the pagans. Ireland was dominantly Celtic. He, they couldn't have just gone through and slaughtered them or else there'd be nobody left. So what they did I believe was just convert people and then kill anyone else who didn't want to fall in line. Kind of like the Spanish Inquisition. Pretty much. Hmm. Yet another Catholic thing. Yeah. So one of the biggest stories I found and I googled like what did St. Patrick do to the pagans? This story came up, and I've seen it, like I saw it in a couple different places, about how King Tigernmus brought himself and all of his people, like his main, you know, his, his homies, his advisors and stuff. Homies. I don't know why homies is the first word that came to my head when I was trying to think Because of, we're like, LA. <laughs> his homies, I'm like his advisors and his like people. No, for me, I'm like, you his know. His posse, his entourage. Tigernmus and his homies rode all the way to the Killy Stone up in Moslecht on Samhain, so it was actually at that time, November 1st, they arrived at the Stone and they went into what they called the prostate position. So you know how (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. That was funny. So (sighs) they bend over. Yeah. You know how the, the Muslims pray, how they get down on their knees and they like put yeah. their arms in front of them and they put their heads on the floor, like their foreheads yeah. on the floor. So that's how the pagans back then or the Celts, that's how they prayed. So imagine like around this circle, you've got a huge group of people in this position, like praying to the stone. And a couple stories said it was like the king, his entourage and like the clans, all the clans, like people would just travel in masses to the stone on Samhain to like worship the God and ask for a good harvest. So, and then, and then, and then there was other stone or other stories about how it was just the king and his people. So Christian observers claim, now this is the, the, the only writing about this is from Christian observers claimed that all these people were on the ground praying to the stone and Krom Kruach just burst out of the stone and killed all of his worshipers. Boom. Just laid them all dead. Right? So it's like, here are these Christians up on the hill like, oh my goodness. Look at that demon bursting out of that rock and killing all of his people. What the hell? (laughs) Right? And then here comes Patrick. He's like, oh, save you. And he like ran down the hill. Right? Exactly. Just like that. Ran down the hill and then like beat the stone with his crozier and slayed the Killy Cluggin stone, killing Krom Kruach in the process. And that is why, according to the story, Krom Kruach doesn't exist anymore because Patrick slayed him. Now, <laughs> there is actual physical evidence on the Killy Cluggin stone to corroborate the story. 
saying no shit. Yeah, that it, the stone was destroyed by a blunt object. It had been destroyed and then separated into multiple pieces and buried. And possibly wow. to keep Krog Kruak from coming back. So the pieces they have of the stone are on display in the in a museum near where the original stone had been. There's now a replacement stone in that spot, like a a stand-in stone. The original is in a museum, and it's multiple pieces. And there's... Make sure that they're not going to reconnect them. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) Just in case. But no, was that done by St. Patrick? We don't know. But that part of the story does line up to what they say happened. Now, this is why I call bullshit on this story. King Tigernmus was actually born in like the 15 or 1600 BCs. 15? Mm -hmm. 1600. Like around the 1600, late 1600 BCs. Okay? And he died in like the 1500 or something. Like early 1500 BC. Right? Before Mm. Christ. Okay? Now St. Patrick was apparently born in the 300 AD. Mm. Okay? There's no possible way that these two people were in the same place at the same time to experience the same exact moment. Unless he got immortality from Krom Kwok, and yeah, that's all I can think of. <laughs> he was blessed by Krom Kwok. Um, immortality. <laughs> so there's no possible way that this could have happened in this way. But it is said... In all the stories I've seen, that Tigran Mist did actually die from a massacre at the Killycluggan Stone on November 1st. Possibly because he was worshipping Kramkuach. That is a very possible thing that could have happened. How or why, we don't know. But there's no possible way that St. Patrick and all his homies, because he had homies too... St. Patrick and all his homies on the hill, or whatever it was, were looking down on this. There's no possible way they were looking down on all of this, going, mm, watch Ooh. these pagans die. Unless, what if they were seeing the ghosts? That's possible. Or <laughs> That's... it's either ghosts, or they slipped into a whole other dimension. But I'll go with ghosts. Yeah, I'm not even going to go into the dimension thing, because I recently discovered time travel TikTok, and... <laughs> It's blown my fucking mind, and now I, I gotta look at time travel. Like now shit. I have to. I'm asking myself so many questions, and my uncle is actually like a genius when it comes to fourth dimensional physics, and he's been explaining to me how time travel could actually work, and my mind is fucking blown. So I'm not even. Oh, gonna looks get, like I'm gonna have to. I'm not hobby. even gonna get into that right now, but I can <laughs> say that we will eventually have a whole episode about the theory of time travel and I'm asking him to come on the show and talk about it. Fuck yeah. So anyway, there's, <gasps> there's that story oh. of like how this all occurred. I so, just, what? well, uh, well, I just thought, okay, so if him and his homies are all up on the hill, they're seeing this, you know, thing coming out. So maybe, yeah, it is time travel. And they're just going through that little stitch of time or whatever. Maybe. Or, wait, it's on Sowin, so they're just coming through the veil. They are ghosts! It could be. And that's why I'm like, oh. I, it's so possible that they were living a moment of residual, like they were witnessing a residual haunting. Bro! It's so possible. And maybe oh they just didn't understand the ghosts, so they thought that they were seeing like demons and specters and whatever else. 
dude, my mind is like so fucking blown right now. Holy shit. Am I high right now? No, I'm not high. What the hell? Am I high? You're sitting in your truck. You're not high. Don't say that on the phone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that, that's probably a smart thing to do. No, I don't smoke or anything else because I get drug tested um, too often for some fucking reason. But that leads anyway. us to, like, religious wars happen all the time. There's Crusades. The three R's of war. Religion, resources, and race are like the three main causes of war. <sighs> religious persecution is huge, and there's so many wars fought over religion, mainly Catholicism and pro- Protestantism. Like, Protestantism? Is that a word? Protestants. So the Bro. Protestants and the Catholics fight all the time. All the time. Bro. Yeah, I know. It's like, you're, you're essentially the same, but... Okay, so there's actually, like, just a few... Or at least from what I can personally gather, just a few differences when it does come to Catholicism and, and Protestant, Protestant, again, there's the fat tongue, uh, Protestant, 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 yes, them, you know, and that's like, let's say, you know, there's the way that they worship, like with Catholics, they tend to do an elaborate mass and they do the services in Latin and mm-hmm. they have like the uh, seven sacraments while Protestants, they just do a simple service where kind of like the you know, Christian depiction of a of church. Yeah, where like the where Christians don't go all out. They don't have the choirs. And they don't have the. It's more Catholics that go all well, crazy. No, it. no, actually, Christians do. You know, Christians do uh, do do the choirs and whatnot. But well, yeah, they but they don't. Not what's the word? <sighs> they're more relaxed. Bougie. Yeah, they're more relaxed they're more and plain. laid back when it comes they're to. Plain. They don't turn it into like a ceremony every time. It's just they yeah, sit and they talk about God and they like have sermons and yeah. Exactly. You know, when it comes to the clergy itself, for for Protestants, you know, uh, the priesthood consists of believers. The priests can also marry, and they can actually select their own minister kind of deal. So basically, fucking anybody could be a fucking priest. Pretty much. When it comes to Catholics, though, they have to be appointed by the church. They cannot marry. And essentially, you have to go through seminary in order to become a priest. Because, you know, gotta have a fucking education to be a priest. Got to know the ins and outs of the Bible from front to back, you know. And then when it comes to authority itself, for Protestants, the Bible itself is interpreted by each individual. It isn't just like saying, okay, this is what the Bible says and that's how it goes. No, they essentially cherry pick. And Mm -hmm. when it comes to Catholicism, you know, I mean, yes, of course, there are some of those people who tend to cherry pick. But the Bible itself, it's interpreted by how the church interprets it. So you can think one way, but... Ultimately, the church is going to be the one that's in the right, you know, and then when it comes to like the salvation for Protestants, faith alone can bring you salvation. While Catholicism, you need to not only have faith, but you also need to do good work. So you got to actually put in the work to be able to go to heaven. Right. You know, so you can't just be like, oh, I believe in God and then expect to go to heaven like how it would be with Protestants. I mean, it's like a very general term and, you know, don't hate me, but, you know, if I'm just giving that general ass fucking term. Yeah, we don't know. have time to go in depth. So it's like, well, you yeah, have to yeah. keep it general, you know. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the biggest wars are between the Catholics and the Protestants. And I'm pretty sure we've talked about this in a past episode. Guaranteed. We've had to have talked about Salem this. Salem was <laughs> There you go. Yep. Uh-huh. That was it. So we see a lot of the Protestants and Catholics fighting around the time of the Tudor reign with King Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. 
And I am so excited to talk about this because, as you know, anyone that knows me knows that I'm, like, extremely obsessed with the whole tutor. Mm-hmm. I didn't plan it this way. I promise. <laughs> I was just like, well, if we can't make a whole episode about St. Patrick and his crazy ass, let's just broaden it a bit and let's talk about religious persecution in the British Isles and Ireland. Why not? And you know what came up? The Tudors. And I was like, yes. So... We're in my zone. <laughs> to take a paranormal and supernatural look at this, we've already kind of dabbled in that. But now to actually talk about like the paranormal part of religious persecution, there is a specific site in London where heretics were burned at the stake for questioning religion, for preaching questions, you know? Because like most heretics, yeah. Most heretics were just simply like, hey, this doesn't make sense. I have questions. And the church was like, no, you don't. We're not <laughs> bitch at the stake. Right? That's basically. Oh, my God. To sum it up, that's basically what happened. Right? What, you, you got questions, bitch? Thought you had questions. <laughs> no, no. Or as Bailey Sarian would say, nay, nay. So. Going back, there's a place in London where the heretics were burned at the stake. And to kind of go over this, there were so many different ways that they killed people. And there was a certain death for a different type of offense. And, like, having an opinion about religion that was not in the Bible or asking questions was considered heresy. And it was an automatic burning at the stake. And in England, the most common place for that to happen the main, like, the big people, the, the notable people. Yeah. And then whoever else happened to be around, who was also accused of the, of the same thing, would be burned in Smithfield. Um, Smithfield in London, it's, like, near central London. It's now a meat market. And it's actually the site where William Wallace was hanged, drawn, and quartered. So he was, I think, I think, if I've done my research right, I believe he was the first person killed at Smithfield. So it's... Probably shouldn't trust the meat there. I mean, I'm sure it's fine now. It's just probably haunted. <laughs> haunted pork. <laughs> you're bringing pork in. You're bringing haunted pork in your house. Honey, so, why is it floating? Smithfield is a place that people have no problems going to during the day. It's it's a really nice area, but they don't like going there at nighttime. It freaks people out at night. And it's really hard to, again, in this situation, it's hard to pinpoint, like, specific hauntings. I tried looking for specific hauntings. And there's one main one, and we'll get to that later. But King Henry VIII, we all know, and if you don't, you should. We all know about his religious reformation. No, if you don't, then how the fuck do you not? Yeah, how do you not know about King Henry VIII and his reformations? Okay, so to kind of give you a vague, very vague, because I could talk forever about this. Yep. King Henry VIII created a whole separate church. He turned, so England was a Catholic <laughs> state under the Vatican. So they were basically, everything they did and everything they, you know, everything that happened, they had to get permission from the Vatican. King Henry VIII decided to make England a Protestant state because he wanted a fucking divorce. <laughs> And the Catholics were like, no, no, we don't do that. And he was like, well, I do. <laughs> so he was like, you know what, bitches, we're going to become Protestant and none of you are allowed to disagree with this. And I'm sure, I mean, there were people that did and they were, they definitely did not like that. 
So oh yeah, they went through churches and they burned Bibles and they burnt statues. They destroyed the churches. They really, really destroyed so much religious history in England. Yeah. You know, just like with so many other things in history. Right. And people died. Heretics died. They were burned at stake. But before him, there was a guy named John Wycliffe. And he was born in the 1330s, I think. Mm-hmm. And he, he studied theology. And he had a lot of questions about religion, which was not okay. And he would often, like, preach these questions. Mm-hmm. And he had this the group of people that were actually formed before him, the Lollards. I think that's how it's pronounced, the Lollards. Their name was derived from the medieval Dutch word meaning to mutter because they believed in reading the scriptures, so they would, like, mutter the scriptures. Yeah. So John Wycliffe was basically a Lollard. There was a guy named William Sawtree. He was a priest, and he was imprisoned in 1399 for heresy and then was later released because he recanted what he said. He was a believer in John Wycliffe's words. So John Wycliffe, he couldn't write things down because there was, like, no printing press, but he, his stories got around. So, like, by word yeah. of mouth. And so in the 1390s, people were still like, dude, this John Wycliffe guy, he's got a point. So it's like an intense game of telephone. Yeah. And so this William Sawtree guy in 1399, this priest was like, no, I, I totally believe in these John and, you know, in the Lollards, which still exist. The Lollards were still around. John Wycliffe was not. But the Lollards still existed. And, you know, William Sawtree is like, I totally believe in John Wycliffe. And he was like, he would preach the beliefs of John Wycliffe. And he was imprisoned in 1399 for heresy. He was later released when he recanted. However, upon being released, he resumed his earlier activities, (laughs) preaching the words of the law, you know, of the Lawler group in London. And he was arrested again in 1401 for it. He was convicted of heresy by the Archbishop Thomas Arundel. Arundel? I don't know how to say his name. I'm just going to say Arundel because it's like, you know, let it go. Let it go. (laughs) So convicted of heresy by Archbishop Thomas Arundel. And he was burned at Smithfield in 1401. Anybody want a pig roast? (laughs) And then um, there was two other notable Lollards that were also burned here. John Badby and Thomas Bagley. John Badby preached against the doctrine of transubstantiation. That word was really hard for me to learn. <laughs> that was a big Transubstantiation. Word. <laughs> and that is the belief that the bread and the wine becomes Jesus. And this guy, John Badby, was like, um, I don't believe that that's a thing. And he was burned at the stake for that. So, yeah, they were like the first few people to be burned for heresy in Smithfield. And the reason why they chose this, originally for William Wallace, they chose this place because back in the day, it was this big open area in the center of London. And even before that, it was outside of the town walls. And when the Romans were in rule of England, it was against their beliefs to bury bodies within the walls of the city. So they would bury their dead outside the walls of the city. And in this situation... It just happened to be Smithfield, which they called Smoothfield back in those times. And to this day, when they're doing construction and stuff in Smithfield, they're still finding graves from the Roman times. Mm. Fast forward a little bit. <clears throat> Smithfield was this giant open area, now part of London. It was in the city now because the it's, it's city expanded. So now they're, they put homes and they put stuff and shops and a town on top of Smoothfield where the Romans buried their dead. So now there's people trampling all over the dead. But it was this big open area, 
And when they wanted to make a big show of executing William Wallace because he was the biggest enemy to England at the time, they chose Smithfield because it was a big open area that was already heavily populated by foot traffic. And they were able to do the hanging, drawing, and quartering of him there with enough room for an audience. Mm. So William Wallace was, I believe, the first person killed at Smithfield. And then it was all these heretics started being burned at the stake here. Because, again, a big open area where they could burn people at the stake and have an audience. And it wasn't, like, in the middle of the city. So, like, the smelling of the burning bodies and stuff didn't really disturb main London very much. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, come on. Like, I've taken it to the slaughterhouses before. And you you smelt it, you know. Yep. I don't know But in this case... So how they burnt people was they put them in a box, like a tar box. So mm-hmm. they so they were standing in, in the tar. And they were surrounded by, and this, I don't know any other word to say, because this is how they wrote it. It said faggots of wood. And I'm assuming it's just like bunches, like bundles. Yeah, that's what I'm figuring. But you can't Google the definition of yes, faggots. Yes, it is. It is. Getting... I just did. You just did? Oh, yeah. okay. It's a unit of volume. Okay. A faggot. In the meaning of bundle is an archaic English unit applied to the bundles of certain items. Oh, there we go. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> a bundle of wood is what it said. They would, like, surround them with bundles of wood and then light it on fire. And the tar kind of helped ignite, you know, keep those flames going. Mm-hmm. So the person was, like, tied to the stake, surrounded by bundles of wood. And, like, you know, and they would just, like, die a slow and very painful death. And the reason why they did this is because they believe that if you were against religion, you didn't deserve a proper burial. So they burned your body so people could not use your body as a symbol. They couldn't dig up your grave and, like, use your head as a symbol of, like, you know, make you a martyr for the cause because your head was so badly burned and destroyed that it was unrecognizable. Uh, well, when it comes to Catholic uh, burials, they're very, very particular. Like, you, you can't even cremate. If you get a cremation done, you're not allowed to be uh, entombed in the uh, Catholic uh, cemetery. Okay, so that makes sense then. See, I didn't know that. And now it makes sense. They burnt the body as kind of like a, like a fuck you. Yeah, person, it's basically, because... it's like burnt, you're burning in hell. Or at least that's from exactly. what I interpret it. So that makes a lot of sense. So in 1401, they created the Statute of Heresy which became law in England. It was signed by King mm-hmm. Henry IV, and it allowed the punishment of heretics by burning them at the stake. So when they were burning people in, like, 1399 and stuff, it wasn't really legal yet. And so King Henry IV was like, well, we better sign something to make that legal or else, whoops. Yeah. Now, King Henry VIII, he turned the Tower of London into a place of torture. So it's where he held prisoners and where he tortured people. So during the Reformations and stuff, he had people tortured to try to get them to reveal names of other heretics. You cannot be a proud Catholic in England anymore. You had to be a Protestant. So he reformed. He went through this big reformation. It caused wars. It caused problems. All because he wanted to Yeah, and, and the thing is, is like, if I'm correct, like when, when it comes to any bit of royalty, they have to uh, be in line with the church. The current royal family yes, because it's because basically it's the Church of England and the Protestants. And yeah, if I was if I'm correct, um, I think they might have changed it uh, recently uh, only because, you know, diversity and shit. But it used to be if you were a soldier in the British Army or you had to be a part of the Church of England. I believe that's true. So King Henry is also known for the burning of Anne Askew. Askew? I don't know how to say her name. Askew? Askew? A-S-K-E-W. Anne Askew. She was a writer, a poet, and she died a Protestant martyr. 
She died for the cause. So she's tied to Henry VIII's last wife, Catherine Parr, who was also a Protestant, but she would also, she would like debate Catherine Parr, would talk to Henry a lot about his religious views. And he, she would ask a lot of questions. And so she would constantly like, well, what about this? And how about this? And well, I don't really believe in that. And so she would throw questions around with the king, which at the time he's like, oh, cool. I can have this intelligent conversation with my wife. That's awesome about religion. I mean, I think Anne Boleyn did the same thing because he brought Protestantism into England so he could marry Anne Boleyn. And they had a lot of discussions about mm-hmm. religion together because it was, you know, they had to decide together how the religion would go forward in England. He had to, like, plan what they believe and what they don't. And he had a lot of talks with Anne about that. And she kind of broadened his horizons. She was very educated and she would bring books to him to, like, help him kind of see things from a different perspective and like help him solidify and argue against why he wanted a divorce. So Anne Boleyn was a huge reason why he, his mind opened to all these different ideas. And Catherine Parr was another wife that did that for him. And he was okay with that for a while until Anne Askew came in. And Anne Askew was a woman, obviously. Her marriage had been arranged to a man named Thomas Keene, who originally had been arranged to marry her sister. But when Anne was 15, her sister died. And so her parents were like, well, fuck it. Then you'll marry Anne. Congratulations, Thomas. You're marrying Anne now. And so Thomas and Anne got married, but they were very different with their religious views. Anne was a very devout Protestant. Thomas was a very devout Catholic, and he could not accept her religion. And so because of their very different religious beliefs, which were really not that different, they had a very unhappy marriage, and he ended up kicking her out. He's like, I can't take this anymore. Get the fuck out of my house. So she, like, rode her way to London, like, tra-la-la-la-la. She went to go visit the king, and she was King Henry at the time. She went to go visit him, and she's like, yo, Henry, you got a divorce a couple times, I think, at this point. I want a divorce. And he was like, "Mm, no, divorces are for me. No. And then he put her on, like, a watch list. So it's like, this woman is dangerous. She's asking for things that women are not supposed to ask for. Put her on this watch list. We need to watch her. While she was in London... She ended up talking about her religious beliefs a lot. She would hold meetings and discuss the Bible, eventually becoming a preacher. She also refused to take her husband's name. So her name, Anna Skew, is what she went by. She refused to take on mm-hmm. the last name Keen. Oh. <laughs> and so that was like, they were like, whoa, 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 woman. You're getting a little bit no. too independent there. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're getting ideas. <laughs> right? And... So while in London, she met all these Protestants. She held these meetings and eventually became a preacher. She was arrested three times for this, presumably because she was a woman with strong opinions. Somehow, some way, she got tied to the queen, Catherine Parr. I think they met each other. They might have had conversations because, you know, Catherine was like a very devout Protestant. But so was Anne. The difference, like Anne wasn't really a heretic. She was just a woman with religious ideas who read the Bible. She, like, she would pass Bibles out to people at a time that I don't think, like, King Henry was trying to limit how many people could actually read the Bible, which I don't understand either. Maybe to stop people from questioning it so much. He was just like, well, well we can't read this anymore. You're just going to listen to what I say now. So maybe that might have been it. I'm not 100% sure. But he did limit how many people, like, he did limit who could read the Bible. And I think she came in at a time during that and she was just handing them out you know like popcorn at a movie like you get a bible you get a bible you get a bible right and he was like whoa 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 no so she got arrested three times for like spreading the religious word and 
being this preacher and being a woman, right? She was a super religious person with a vagina, and that's why she got arrested. <laughs> I'm assuming because she didn't. It's not like she was against anything he it believed was just the in. Fact that she had a, a so I and she was like encouraging women to talk about religion and like think and read and and he was like, no. like men did uh-uh. not like that. No one so, likes a lippy woman. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, he's tied to the death of Anne because he had her imprisoned three separate times. Damn, and gangsta. on the final time, I know, on the final time, he had her sent to the Tower of London to have her tortured because they wanted her to deliver names. Tell me all the people that think like you. Give me names of other women who are also talking about religion. Give us these names. Now, the guys at the Tower of London were like, um, listen, King Sir Henry, whatever your name is, King Henry, Dude. listen, your grace, uh, torturing women is illegal and he was like i'm king i say do it do it and they were like okay so they put her on the rack and they stretched her and they tried really hard to get her to say names and she refused she was on the rack for days she wrote because there are writings of hers i can't wait to read it i haven't read anything yet but i want to read what she has to say she stated that like they had her on the rack for days at a time and they would put her through so much pain that she would faint they would force her to wake up and then put her through pain again. So she was repeatedly fainting and being woken back up. She could no longer use her legs. She couldn't walk. She couldn't move. All her joints, her her um, shoulders, elbows, hips, knees, everything had been dislocated because she had been stretched so much that she could she had no function of her legs and arms anymore. She refused to give up any names. But still, as a result, Catherine Parr had been arrested for being a heretic. And it wasn't until, like, the way she got out of it was by saying, I wasn't trying to go against you, Your Grace. I was simply trying to get more information about your beliefs because I, I strongly believe in everything you have to say. And I just wanted to know more. And he was like, oh, oh, well, you flatter me. And then he let her out of jail. That didn't quite work for Anne, though. <laughs> so Anne was carried in a chair because, you know, dislocated everywhere. Anne was carried in a chair to Smithfield, where she was burned at the stake for being a woman with religious opinions, but also dying as labeled as a heretic. Now, the executioner felt sorry for her, it said, and he tied a bag of gunpowder around her neck so she would die faster and wouldn't suffer as much. (laughs) Now, to this day, she is the only woman in English history that had been both tortured and burnt at the stake. Damn. She was the only one. And that was under King Henry VIII's rule. So she died there at Smithfield. Now, the biggest one, Queen Mary the First. She's known as Bloody Mary because... Wait, you don't have any Mary around you, do when... you? <laughs> no. I have to look around. No. So when Queen Mary came in, she was like, you know what? Fuck everything my dad said. I'm Catholic. And now England is going to become Catholic. a Catholic state again. So then she desperately tried to undo everything her dad did. Now it's believed that her husband was also a huge encourager in this. So it's said that she, she did have very strong Catholic views. But they don't, like historians believe that Mary herself, her as a person wasn't the one to originally be like, we should just burn them all. They firmly believe, like a lot of historians firmly believe, that it was her husband who pushed her to put that into, into 
Kujo, what are you doing? Yo, you're loud, buddy. Thanks. So they believe that it was her husband who pushed her into saying, we're just going to burn all of them. Mm -hmm. She's dubbed Bloody Mary, but historians are like, that's not exactly accurate because although, yes, she signed off on all this stuff because she had to, like every single execution in England had to have the monarch's signature on it. And so if the monarch died, like if the monarch said, we're executing that person and then died, they wouldn't be executed anymore. They'd be let off the hook. So anyone who was waiting to be executed when the monarch died would just be let go. Thankfully, that was a huge group. Like that was a huge amount of people when she passed away. But we'll get there in a second. So when she first became queen, there was Wyatt's Rebellion. Mm -hmm. And the Wyatt's Rebellion... It's there's toss up. It was mostly political, but people believe it had something to do with religion because all the leaders were Protestants. So they believe that it had some type of small religious meaning to it. But their main cause, there was approximately 200 deaths in the rebellion, and it was geared more towards Mary's marriage to the Spanish prince rather than marrying an English suitor. So she refused to marry an Englishman and married a Spanish guy instead. And these guys were not happy about that. They didn't want strangers coming into their land. They wanted to keep it oh, British. Yeah, because, you know, interbreeding um, and all that. Yeah, they wanted to keep it English. So they were, like, they were condoning her. They were standing up against her for marrying a Spanish guy instead of an English guy. No, you gotta um, marry your brother. <laughs> so, no. Dude, inbreeding was a thing, okay? <laughs> Especially during the I Tudors, know. okay? <laughs> um, oh, I know. And then there was what she's known for. The Bloody Mary title is what she's known for. And that was the Marian Prosecution. Marian? Marian? Marian Persecutions. It began in January of 1555 when she turned England's religion back to Catholicism. There were three different groups involved and then one main person who is responsible for a third of all of the executions done during this time. So he's like a huge part and it's said that he might have gotten quite a thrill out of it, actually. Of course, the Papal group was headed by the Reginald Pole. His loyalty was firmly placed with the Pope in Rome. So the Papal group were, like, totally behind this. They were like, yes, persecute, 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 per- blah, 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 blah. Say that five times fast. Persecute, persecute. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> the second group of people that were completely backing this was, was the English Romanists. They were angry about how Henry VIII had treated the Catholics during the Reformation, and therefore they had a very special grudge against all the reformers, and they were like, yes, let's get the Protestants. Do it. So now she's being backed by the papal group and the Romanists, and now her king consort, Philip, and his Spaniard friends, they accompanied him to England, and they wanted to strike down as much of the reformist power as possible to strengthen Philip's personal authority because Philip it's believed that Philip might not have been so happy about being just the king consort that he was like this woman I can't do anything without my wife's approval and back then that was not acceptable (laughs) he was trying to have his own power which I which is why people believe that he was so pushy in doing this he's like I need to strengthen my own power here so I'm seen as more than just the king consort of England, you know? Basically, um, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm pussy whipped. Right. But there was a lot of men like mm. that in history, you know, because like even um, Queen the Mary of Scots, Mary Queen of Scots, you know, her husband 
tried to do the same thing. He did not like it that he wasn't the king, and he tried taking oh, the power man, from man, her. Get over so it. he ended up he ended up siding with the Protestants because she married a Protestant to try to unite Scotland to like be like, hey, you know, we can be you can be Catholic or you can be Protestant. It's up to you. So she married a Protestant to like show a sign of of like faith, mm-hmm. good faith to the Protestants. Like I accept you, but instead of like her husband helping her with this, the husband was like. No, I'm going to get the backing of the Protestants, like John Knox and all these people, and we're going to take you down because I want to be king. Right. I can't stand it that this woman, this this thing with a vagina can tell me what to do. I don't like it. Sorry, Roxy. I scared her. It's amazing how many people just could not stand it that vaginas had power. They just they didn't I mean, like is it. Is that a bad thing? No. Well, I mean, to them it is, no. but... Some of the strongest reigns in history were yeah, from women. exactly. So many people are like, if we ever have a woman president in the United States, like, they're going to turn the White House pink. Oh, And, like, my once God. a month, everything's yes. going to go to hell. Do you hear these? Okay, look back in history. Some of the strongest reigns of power are from Shit, women. Look at today, Queen Elizabeth too. I. Yeah, Queen Elizabeth I. The golden era of England was during the mm-hmm. Elizabethan times. Like, she was the greatest, one of the greatest queens that England ever saw. And then after yep. that was Queen Victoria, who was also fucking amazing. And then there was, um, oh my God, what's her name? There was the one in Russia. Oh God. I know who the hell you're talking about, too. <gasps> yeah, I can't think of her uh. name. So these strong queens in history, they're some of the the best things that ever happened to their countries and probably Catherine because the they're not whipping their dick out and measuring it. Catherine the Great, there you go. They're like actually doing I their mean, job. Come on. They're like thinking with their head and not with their fucking exactly. dicks Exactly, and I mean, <laughs> people are going to be like, oh great, they're feminists. Yeah, hell yeah, we are. <laughs> Fuck yeah, yeah I'm exactly. A I'm a feminist too. <laughs> you know, and, and people are like, well, why are you a feminist? And I'm like, uh, well, I mean, I came out of a vagina, right? Like, I'm not an extreme feminist, okay, but I yeah, do believe the... that women are more powerful than men giving yeah, credit for. Yeah, hell yeah, you know. Like, I'm not one of those feminists that's like, you know, burn the patriarchy. Well, but I'm like, dude, the patriarchy needs to sit the uh, fuck it... down and let exactly. the patriarchy have a say. Uh, uh, not not you know? burn the patriarchy. However, you know, yeah, step the fuck back, bitch. <laughs> like, let yeah. us have a say, too. It's equal. Like, I'm, you know, anyway. But that's my... <laughs> Opinions aside, that's not what this is about. What it is about, though, is that, like, this queen, all these queens, so from Queen Mary on, these queens were trying so hard to do their shit, and men were constantly coming in and trying to influence their shit. And that's why a lot of these wars were coming down, these religious persecutions. Queen Mary did have a hand in them. She's not innocent. She did have a hand in all of this. She signed off on all of it, but it's believed that she didn't exactly, like, it wasn't all her big master plan, that it might have actually been orchestrated um, by others you know philip it might have been philip's like her her husband philip it might have been his thing like philip might have been like hey sweetheart um look at this you should really sign this she is said to have been responsible for signing the death as 288 minimum between 288 to like 300 and something people like about approximately 300 people were killed damn 50 of those 288 people are said to have been executed at Smithfield. Wow. One of the biggest names in the Marian persecutions is Edmund Bonner, who he is also known as Bloody Bonner. I've actually never heard of him. He, 
really, you have to look them up. So one third of all of the victims of the Marian persecutions, which is approximately 100 people, if it's about 300 people killed, one third of them were his responsibility. They were burned with his, within his diocese. And so he had to at least know about the arrests and at worst had to have been like eagerly willing to be like, yes, burn them. Burn them all. <laughs> right? Like he was encouraging them. It's said that he was encouraging them. And I don't know a lot about him, but Edmund Bonner was a big name in this. Like Mary wouldn't have been able to kill as many people without wow. Edmund Bonner. And he was the Bishop of London. So it's kind of an important dude. Now, if you think about it, like religion back in this time, like religion was more powerful than the monarch. Religion ruled the monarch. Well, yeah, and, and uh, well, when it, and, yeah, that, that. because uh, religion also basically said they've derived from God, blah 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 blah. You know, so that's right. why they're like when it came to ultimate decisions, you know, they had to go through the church. Yeah, exactly. So in Smithfield. We're t- coming back to Smithfield. Smithfield was the site of so many executions. And it's believed that there's like a huge amount of hauntings here. And the reason why I'm circulating back to Smithfield so much is because it was a central point in a lot of these religious persecutions. And it, so much more, like there was so much more that happened in Smithfield. But Smithfield is known mainly as the place where executions took place, especially religious ones took place here. Because they burnt the bodies and the smell, like, when you went into Smithfield some days, like, the smell of the burning bodies was so great. It was, like, disgusting. You could smell it all around Smithfield. And they didn't want that in London. They're, like, I mean, it was in London, but it wasn't, like, in central London, but it was close to it, you know? That's far enough away from the high people. Far. Exactly. So they could do it and put on a big public show about it. And it said that they did. Like, it was, it was an entertainment thing. Like, people would come from all over the place. And there was even, like, street entertainment around it. Like, they turned it into a circus during oh, execution damn. days. So it was a big enough area to do stuff like this. And so they did a lot of big public executions at Smithfield. Now, one of the most notorious hauntings of Smithfield is the Cock Lane Ghost. <laughs> Um, That's what she said. I can't say, I can't say the word cock without getting old. I'm sorry. I'm still ten. <laughs> um, so it was the it was a haunting that attracted mass public attention in 1762, and it was the location was a lodging in you know Cock Lane, which is like a street, you know, and it's a short little road, and it's near the Smithfield Market. And it's just a couple minutes away from St. Paul's Cathedral. So it's like right there in right there in Smithfield. So what happened was there's this guy named William Kent. And he had a wife named Elizabeth. And she died during childbirth. And he be then he then came became romantically involved with her sister, whose name was Fanny. They called her Fanny. And I think her name was Francis. So he became romantically involved with Fanny after the yeah, death that's, of his that's wife. That's actually not not uh, uncommon during those times it's not but because of religious law it's called canon law which states that you know if you were married to like you can't have relations or be married to siblings like you can't marry so he was married to the sister to elizabeth he couldn't then go marry fanny because he had already had sex like sexual relations 
with Elizabeth. So he can't marry because he had sexual relations with Elizabeth. He cannot marry Fanny. Now he can have sex with her all he wants, but it's against the word of God. It's against the Catholic thing to, or Protestant even, I'm not sure. I know for sure it's Catholic law. You cannot marry your wife's sibling if you've, or your, your spouse's sibling, if you've had sexual relationships with your spouse already. Mm -hmm. Right. And this was a big reason this canon law was a big reason in why King Henry VIII was asking for a divorce because he was like, I married Catherine of Aragon and I love her dearly, but she was married to my brother first, which she was. And she claimed I never actually had sex with, we never consummated our marriage. They had the sheets to prove that that happened. And so he used that like after they got married the next day, you know, there was proof of consummation so obviously it happened. And because of that, because I married Catherine and we, you know, I've been married to Catherine for so long. The reason I don't have a son is because God is cursing me for marrying my brother's wife. <laughs> I shouldn't have married her. I, the marriage should have never been allowed. And that was his argument, which back then was a thing because even in 1762, they were like concerned about this. Yeah. Right. And this is like 200 years later where they're still concerned about the canon law. 200 years 15 15 16 yeah 200 years later they're still concerned about marrying your spouse's sibling so because they couldn't get married they still lived together they cohabitated they had a relationship they just could never be married so he had a relationship with uh fanny and she ended up dying from smallpox <laughs> oh. one second amber stop screaming at the water <laughs> no get over here she's like I'm doing shadow work stop it come here this is because I wouldn't let her in my lap she's screaming in the water because I wouldn't I pushed her off my lap like six times <laughs> so payback <laughs> okay so Fanny died of smallpox and so he lost both his wife and his wife's sister and to sum it up though like the basic premise of the Cock Lane Ghost, is that following Fanny's death, there was a lot of poltergeist activity in this house, in this lodging where they lived. And everyone believed that it was Fanny's ghost. And there's actually, like, this really long story behind the Cock Lane Ghost. It was, like, this big thing that went on for a really long time. So I encourage you all to look into it more because it's actually a pretty interesting story. We just don't have time to go into it today because it's such an extensive story. Well, okay. But I could add it to the wheel. Dude, totally. <laughs> so the Cock Lane Ghost is the biggest known haunting surrounding Smithfield, which I thought was pretty cool. And there's uh, like numerous accounts of hauntings and stuff, but that's the biggest okay. one. Well, we'll probably have to uh, yeah. do like a little bit more research on that eventually and uh, uh, come back to it. Yeah, because they did seances like that, you know, knock once for yes, not twice for no. I think that started because of the Cock Lane Ghost. Mm. So, yeah, it's we definitely should look into this. I would love to. Definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah. For sure. So, thank you for listening to us here at Otherworldly Divergence. We really do appreciate it. And, I mean, in all honesty, we could go so much deeper, but there's just too too much shit to go into. And, and also, yeah. if we let Tyla go ahead and have a little bit too much time with the tutors, we'll never hear the end of it. So <laughs> We'll never, ever go home. Exactly. Yeah. This, this show will never end. 
And yeah, that's all. I think that's all we have. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter, even though I don't use Twitter very much. I'm trying. I'm really oh, trying. Oh, that's right. We got TikTok way. going. Kind of. Oh, yeah. We have TikTok. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. And we're on Spotify. And we're on podcast, Google Podcast, and Anchor, obviously. Uh- <laughs> Anchor. And I'm trying to get us on iHeartRadio. So keep up with that. To sum this up, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate every single person that yes, clicks on our do. podcast. It helps us so much. Every single click helps because the more people that get out there, the more we can spread our spread our stories and have more fun and do more stuff. And, you know, yeah. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye.